0: Um, if, I hope, even as you are at home, that uh, you got your Bible out, because uh, we're going to jump into a text. We're going to keep things uh, a, a bit brief uh, this morning, uh, and yet we want to cover a little bit of text, keep it short and sweet uh, this morning, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 54 through 58, but we're going to kind of focus in specifically on verse 56. So 1 Corinthians 15 is what we're looking at this morning. Um, And again, for those who may be new to kind of jumping in and exploring church and this idea of Jesus, um, I just want to say that all that you see happening here is not for show. It's not because we just had some grand idea to maybe do some songs and then open the Bible and talk about it. This is not our idea. This is God's intention. He tells us from his word to praise him. He tells us uh, that as we praise him, he encounters us. It's a mutual interaction. As we lift up praise to him, he he comes and encounters us. Uh, He calls us to open up this this word and and to preach it. And so we want to be faithful to that. He says, preach it and and explain it and and apply it. So even right now, as we open God's Word, this is not for entertainment purposes. Uh, This is is not to just kind of give you some wow factor on your Sunday morning. Um, The wow factor in all of this should be the person and work of Jesus. You don't need any entertainment you don't need any grand stories. Jesus is the grand story. He is the attraction when it comes to the gathered church. What we gather around, why we gather, is it's all about the person and work of Jesus. So let's behold him this morning. Let's behold Jesus. And, and believing, I, I do think even some of you are at home, even as we sang, you, you may be sitting back saying, that's a little different than what I've experienced or seen of church life, but there's something in you even now that's kind of drawing you. Even as Zach had prayed, something cutting you to the heart. It's like, all right, there's something here I need to see, something here I need to know. Just so you know, that's the Lord at work. It's his spirit drawing your hearts in these moments to himself. He is a God who desires to be known. As scripture says, it's, it's, It's our own sin, and it's the enemy that's blinded our eyes from seeing the glory of Christ. So even in these moments, if you're feeling drawn, if you're sitting back saying, man, I should listen in, or something's happening within me, or or maybe tears have come to your eyes as, as songs have been sung. In these moments, God is at work. He's where you are, and he wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself to you. So even in this moment, as we look to his word, we look to his word because through his word, he is revealed. We come to know something of him. So even the, this morning, as we read this text, as it ex- explained, I want to pray that God would encounter us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54 through 58. It's the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth and towards the end of this letter, he's dealing with the very issue that we celebrate this morning and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you just glimpse at the beginning of the chapter, Paul would say this is the matter of first importance that Christ, Jesus, has come and he's lived for us and he's died for us, and he's been raised for us. Paul goes on to talk about the reason why we die, why death is a reality in this world. He says, all who are in Adam die. But here's the hope, then, that he's putting before us, and here's what we celebrate this morning, is that all those who are in Christ will be made alive. That death is not ultimate for those who know Christ. Why? Because Christ has overcome the grave. And so as Paul then finishes out this chapter, he's talking about what the resurrection will be like. When one day, finally, our dead bodies will be made alive again. And it's in those moments that there will be a grand declaration. And we see it here in these verses. Verse 54, the Apostle Paul says... When the perishable, that is this, the perishable is this body, right? It will die, it will perish, but when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when this body is resurrected one day, when it's made imperishable, and when the mortal, this body, puts on immortality, the resurrected body, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, love it. This is what we celebrate today. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For he says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because that is the case, because Christ has given us the victory as his people, verse 58, now there's reason to get busy. It says this, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast in the victory of Christ, be immovable in the victory of Christ, always abounding in, In the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The one thing that matters in this life is not our own plans, but it is being steadfast, giving ourselves to the labor of the Lord, for that is what will last. So let's pray, and we'll briefly go through this text together. God, I pray even right now for those who uh, are listening in every set of ears that are are, are out there. Uh, God, we pray your blessing, that you would bless your word. I pray for those even right now who are confused about you, not sure about you, who kind of sit and listen in and this is kind of new, it's kind of different. Oh God, grant them eyes to see and ears to hear. show them the reality of your beauty and of your presence that that we are a people who who desperately need to know you not because you just come with your you know your your bag of tricks and all the good blessing that that comes from your hand but because you are the blessing because You are amazing because to be in your presence, to know something of your holiness, to know something of your love is is what our hearts have yearned for all along. So God, I pray, I pray that you would make yourself known in these moments. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, who who would have ever thought... (laughs) that Easter, Resurrection Sunday 2020, would have been in a context like this. Usually we're all kind of gathered together, and it's this grand time of celebrating the person and work of Jesus, his resurrection, you know, and instead we're, we're separated from one another, we're isolated from one another, we're under quarantine, we're under the fear of this thing called corona, like what, what is that? And we're stuck in this position now where everything just kind of seems to be on its head. Anything that we understood of routine has now been kind of tossed out the door. We're trying to fit into this this new routine. We're trying to figure out what tomorrow may hold for us. Everything seems a bit more backward in these moments. Even as we talked about on Friday night from, from James 4. You know, James 4 talks about the illustration of the people who are just busy planning their lives. You know, tomorrow we're going to go into this city and that city, and we're going to buy and sell and make a profit. And isn't life going to be grand and wonderful? We're going to accomplish something. And in these moments, all of that gets flipped on its head. We come to the realization that we're not really in control of this life. Our plans don't determine tomorrow. And, and, and not only then have we in this season of life come to, like, realize we aren't in control, but we have also come uh, to a point of being confronted with death in a real way. Life is incredibly frail. Even in, uh, as, as the news has been saying over these few weeks, we'll, we'll see the kind of greatest death toll in Philadelphia. Death is a real thing. And and here's the point, though. Like, it doesn't, we don't need corona to realize that. Even as a church, this past year has been hard. The previous years even have been hard. We've been reminded of death again and again and again. Death stares us in the face. And most often, especially in the Western world, we, we, we try to turn our head from that reality. We, we get so zoned into doing our own thing, our own plans, living for our own comforts and, and our own purposes. And just as Jesus would say to the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12, who, who, who goes out and gets a bigger barn so he could fill it full so that his days could be spent in comfort. Jesus says, what a fool what a fool for now your soul is required of you death stares us down death is a problem that we all face it's painful it's hard it's it's not something that we would ever want and yet it's always present and i would pose that even in this time even in this time where we are recognizing we, we do not determine tomorrow. Our plans do not determine anything. And, and, and in a time where we are confronted with death, I think this is a very opportune time that, that God is on the move doing some wonderful things because it's important, it's important that we as people would come to the end of ourselves. That we would actually come to the end of our self-sufficiency. And that we would recognize our own limitation and that we would consider death. Scripture again and again would say, Lord, teach us to number our days. James 4 again would say, don't forget, your life is vapor-like. It's here for a short time, boom, gone. We are far more limited than what we would like to acknowledge. And death is a reality for us all but it's a good thing to consider these things because it, it, it begins, okay, so who does have our tomorrow? Who has overcome death? What hope do we have? Here's what I'd like to do in just a few moments that we have together is to ask a couple questions. Uh, let's stare death in the face. Let's stare limitations in the face and ask the questions, why is death a reality, and where can hope be found? Why is death a reality, but where can hope be found? Why is death a reality? Let's begin with that particular question, verse 56 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says this very bluntly. It says, the sting of death, the pains of death, the sting of death is sin to just put it there bluntly, death is a reality because sin is a reality. This sting, the painful reality, this bitter experience of death comes from the reality of sin. Because there is death or because there is sin, there is death. So why is death a reality? Because sin is a reality. Since Day one, we could go back to the beginning of the storyline of Scripture. We have Adam and Eve, and what do they do? They reject God, they sin, and God says, as soon as you sin, death will be your experience. You will begin to die. Romans chapter 6 in the New Testament would say it even more bluntly. It says that the penalty of sin is death. And Scripture would make that case uh, that since all sin, all die. If you'd even flip the page over to verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, it's Paul declaring this reality again, that all those who are in Adam, all those who are broken and sinful are those who will die. We die just like Adam died. All of humanity Dies. Why? Because of sin. And even Paul here in verse 56 would say that it is that the power of sin is the law. What does he mean by that? He means that the Bible has stated it again and again. The law has announced the truth again and again that sin has brought about death and therefore sin must be judged by death. This is the power of the law. It states it clearly. Death exists because sin exists. Now, for some of you who are listening in, you're like, oh boy, this is where things have gotten just super religious and you guys are crazy for believing all this kind of stuff. Well, the question is, what is sin then? Is sin just these kind of like goofy religious moral failures or is sin this like super really bad stuff, you know, diabolical Hitler kind of stuff? What is sin? Well, the Bible presents sin as simply this. It's an attempt to ultimately satisfy our hearts with anything or everything less than God. And I don't know about you, but don't we all live there where, where our hearts are always desiring something to find satisfaction in, whether it's relationships or whether it's substance, or whether it's XYZ comforts that are out there. Our, Our hearts are endlessly pursuing some sort of satisfaction. We're always going to something, and the fact of the matter is nothing really satisfies. That's why we have to go back to it again, and again, and again, and again. The Bible would say that sin is simply this. It's trying to satisfy our hearts with anything less than God. And the turmoil that we experience in that sin, in those kind of pursuits, is is this reality that we were actually created for an infinite God. C.S. Lewis would say it this way. He would say, you should come to the reality that there is a God by the fact that there is nothing that can satisfy your own heart. You go after things again and again to find kind of that, to satisfy that gnawing emptiness in your heart. And C.S. Lewis says we should come to the, to the realization that if nothing in this world truly satisfies our hearts, that we were made for something bigger than this world. Namely, our God. You were made for the infinite. You were were created for God and therefore to find satisfaction, true soul satisfaction in anything less than God. God says that's sin. That his, His place is to be on the throne of our hearts. We've been created for him. We've been wired for him and therefore sin is tempting to satisfy our hearts with anything less than God. And folks, don't Again, don't just think, oh, that's just either the crazy diabolical sin stuff, or that's like the, 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 the religious nuances and morality standards that are just crazy. No. When it comes down to it, folks, sin is even in the good things of life. It's taking even the good things of life and trying to make them ultimate things, making them things that would satisfy our hearts. And, and even God would say, that is sin. You may be trying to satisfy your hearts with different relationships or with, with family or maybe even with religiosity. Again and again, folks, come in. Okay, I got I, I, I to know this book inside and out. And if I know this book inside and out, then I'm doing something right and doing something good. Folks, Jesus would even rebuke the religious in his day for thinking that Scripture alone would give the life that they so deeply desired. Jesus would say in John 5, he would say, it's actually this word, it's this truth that points to a person, namely Jesus. It's Jesus alone who can satisfy our hearts. So we can take even good things and distort them in such a way to make them ultimate things, thinking that even in our religiosity, we can have a satisfied soul. We could say it this way for maybe the more theological folks out there, like if your theology does not lead to doxology, it's idolatry. right? If your understanding of scripture and truth doesn't lead to worship of Jesus, then it inevitably becomes idolatry of soul. it becomes sin and of itself. so when we think about Sin, don't just think about the Mansons of this world and the Hitlers of this world. Think about the people who may be sitting in church doing (laughs) religious things and and making the religious stuff an end in itself. The standing, the kneeling, the incense, all all the different traditions that might be involved there. Folks, even that, if it doesn't get you to Jesus... It's sin. God is saying, I want your heart. That's why the the greatest commandment Jesus would say is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. God has wired you that he would sit on the throne of your life. You were made for nothing less than an infinite God. And therefore, to seek true soul satisfaction in anything less than God, God says, is sin. And God says, it's that sin that is worthy of the judgment of death. Why is death a reality? Because sin is a reality. All who are in Adam die. We're all sinners. We all face the reality of death. Death surrounds us, and death will be our inevitable end because we are all, by biblical definition, sinners. Now the question then stands, like, what a bleak kind of sermon for a Resurrection Sunday. Well, we got to get to the next question, like, okay, if death is a reality for everyone because everyone is a sinner, then where can hope be found? Who turns this narrative around? Well, verse 57 Although death is an awful stinging reality, our God has not left us in our sin. He's not left us in our brokenness. He has not left us without hope when it comes to facing death. No, the apostle states, verse 57, but thanks be to God. There's this contrast. Death tends to have this sting. No, no but thanks be to God who does what? This is astonishing. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. While death is real and death is an awful judgment, God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin. He doesn't leave us stuck in the reality of death. No, this God of the Bible this God that you would read of if you'd open the Bible and consider him. He is a God who, according to this text, is giving. He is self-giving. Just uh, even last night, I laid in bed and uh, I just meditated on John three sixteen. Just kind of kept my mind there. Yeah, and it, it's like God just meeting me in those moments. Just saying, like... Yes, I am the giving God. I, I love, I love this big, bad, broken world. You, you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what he gave. This self-giving God enters into the brokenness, into this big, bad world because he loves it. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. He died for us. It's God who loves this big, bad, broken world that he would give, that he would give his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Our God is a giving God. He doesn't leave us in the turmoil of death. He actually grants us hope. He wants to step in. He wants his love to be known. And how has his love most expressly been been known? But through the giving of his son. So that, so that, whoever would believe in him would not perish. Man, don't you feel? I mean, the word perish. This is what we feel in these kind of seasons, where we know, wow, we are not in control. While we are faced again with the fact that we are perishable. But it's the giving God who steps in and gives of himself, sends Jesus, the God-man who comes, right? He comes for us by name. And he comes and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. He deals with the issue of our sin at the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. He endures the penalty of our sin, but he is raised on the third day. Why? To overcome death. All who sin will die. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in love, in self-giving love to deal with the problem of our sin, and to overcome the problem of death. This is what our God does. Our God is a giving God. Take hope. You may feel your perishableness in these moments, in this season, in this corona season, but you can know this is the God who comes for us so that we might have everlasting life. This is the giving God. This is the self-giving God. He didn't stand at a distance and try to rescue us without personally investing himself into our problem. He came personally to deal with the problem, to give of himself that we might have life and life everlasting. Is this not the God who would be worthy of our trust? Is this not a God who is worthy of our faith? Folks, Jesus was given for us. Jesus lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us. And what is it that he gives us? What does he ultimately achieve for us? Verse 57 again. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. What victory? What, what's this victory that's being being spoken of in this chapter? Well, it is the r- reality of death, it is the reality of sin. That God now, not by works that we have done, but by his own accomplishment, he says, here you go. It doesn't come at a cost. There's no kind of getting all cleaned up religiously in order to receive this great gift. You don't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops to gain his love, to gain this victory. He gives it to us, this victory that is a victory over the cause of sin and over the problem of our sin, namely death. It's victory that he gives us. It's nothing we could win in and of ourselves. It's nothing we can achieve in ourselves. It's everything that must come by faith. He's done it for you. And therefore, his life, this victory, is to be received by faith. Don't buy in. Don't buy into the narrative out there that you got to do a bunch of religious things in order to gain his victory, his love. If it's up to us to gain these things, we, we actually get in the way of the glory that is his and his alone. Receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. It is a victory that God has secured for us and who is ready then to give us. It's the victory over sin. It's the victory over death. And therefore, it's this victory that one day, you know, we we have to recognize that it's that it's one day that we'll be able to shout these words. Death is swallowed up in victory O oh, death where is your sting O oh, death where is your victory Folks the, the idea is this from this text is that Jesus truly has already defeated death He's defeated it The tomb is empty you know, if you, and if you doubt that, if you sit back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we've heard about this, but we're not sure. I mean, the whole point of this chapter, even Paul earlier in the chapter is saying, hey, you got to realize that just this didn't just kind of happen in a vacuum. This was not just kind of some mystical story just kind of tossed out there before everyone. There were eyewitnesses. Not only of Jesus' disciples, but also of 500 plus people. And Paul states even earlier in this chapter, he he encouraged the folks during this time, go check out the eyewitnesses. They can actually testify to the reality of what has taken place. That Jesus has died, but he is dead no more. He is alive. The tomb is empty. Folks, Jesus defeated death. But it's important that we would understand this. Death is not yet destroyed. Even earlier in chapter 15, Paul will say that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So while death is defeated, it's not yet destroyed. One day, death will be finally destroyed, and it's on that day, as verse 54 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable. That we will finally be able to declare, to mock death, to say, death, you are swallowed up in victory. Now, for any of the folks from Grace City who are with us, even during the Jonah series, you should see the Jonah imagery in that phrase, the swallowed upness. Jonah was running from the Lord, and God brought judgment upon Jonah. He swallowed him up in a a big fish, right? And that symbolism is kind of weird for us, but it's symbolism that points to the fact of judgment. Jonah was set free, resurrected from that judgment, so to speak. But in these moments, what Paul is saying is just like the big fish swallowed up Jonah in judgment, so death will be swallowed up with judgment, Christ will finally and fully put an end to death. Death will be the last enemy that will be destroyed. So on one hand, death is defeated. What does that mean? It means that, yes, although we trust in Jesus, this body's going to die. As Jesus would say in even John 11, he'll say, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who trust in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Death has been defeated for us so that as we walk through the door of death, it's not ultimate death to die. It's not ultimate judgment for us. It's actually the doorway into life. It's where the perishable for us will put on the imperishable. It's where the mortal will put on immortality. That the door of death is not ultimate for us. For in faith in Christ, we will know something of this death that has been defeated. And together we will await the final day where it might be said death is swallowed up in victory. We will have the opportunity with Christ to mock death. To say, death, you, you never had teeth in the first place. And it won't be because of what we have done. But it will be because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So the question stands as we think about our own world and, and the uncertainties of it. And as death stares us in the face, and as we attempt to stare death in the face, how do we apprehend the hope and the victory that Christ has? gives us. How do we gain this victory? It's simply to say it this way, where sin is pardoned, death has no ultimate sting. Where sin is pardoned, death has no ultimate sting. Folks, Jesus is the one who has dealt with our sin at the cross, who provides for us this victory over death. And so it must not be that it is earned. It must not be that we apprehend this this hope by our own doing. It's that we come to Jesus, this God who is ready to give us his love, who is ready to give us his forgiveness, who is ready to give us this victory. Such that even for Christians, we could face death and realize that this is not ultimate for me. Because my Savior has overcome. He's not dead. He's alive. This was what makes Christianity different from all other religions. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. You go through the list of characters throughout history. They're dead. But there is one who claims the fact that he has overcome the grave. There were eyewitnesses, there's testimony to the fact. And therefore it is Jesus who is not dead, but who lives and he lives for us. You can go to him even now and say, Jesus, here's my sin, here's my brokenness. You can lay it at his feet and you can say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your victory and he will have you. He will have you. Now, for some of you, who this may be like new, I, I think there 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 ends up being like a thousand and one questions that goes with that. Your heart may be drawn to Jesus in these moments, but you may be thinking about yeah, but what about this and what about that? What about the suffering and the evil in this in this world? Or what about you know the lost loved ones uh, that have already passed and and where will they be? And I just want to be with them. And and maybe you're thinking you know about what, whatever other reasons how your family may react to you, trusting, and whatever it is. Our minds go in a thousand and one directions. Here's how I would encourage you. Don't navigate those questions and concerns alone. The very one who can navigate us through those kind of waters is Jesus. It is the one who, who stands enthroned, who, who is the essence of wisdom, He wants to help you navigate. Don't let those things be reason for not coming to Jesus. Let those things actually be the reason for coming to Jesus. That you wouldn't have to navigate those questions alone. Come to know Christ. And then let the questions follow. And I'm not just asking you to, you know, be it blind faith. Naive faith. I'm not saying that. Look, what has been presented is a God who stands over all and he's lavish and he's kind and he's eager to deal with the greatest needs of our lives. He is the one who's lived for us and died for us and been raised. So, So it's not blind faith. It's not just saying step out in faith regardless of what questions you have. No, you need Jesus in order to navigate those very questions. Trust in him today. He is the one who can help you. He's the one who can save you. He's the one that your heart has always desired in the first place. Your heart has always wanted some sort of peace and some sort of love that no relationship, no substance, no experience could satisfy. Jesus himself says that he is the satisfaction of our souls. Trust him today. And folks, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've come to faith and you're, you're, you're sitting back in this season and you're, you're kind of wrecked by the season. You're coming to recognize, oh my goodness, yeah, things are, things are a bit backward and you feel the fears and you feel the tensions of, of this, this moment, of this season. Well, the Apostle Paul would encourage you. He would encourage you that because Jesus has the hold on life and death for you, <laughs> What does he say? Verse 58. He says, therefore, because Jesus has a hold on life and death for you, my beloved brothers, be steadfast in the victory that you've been given in Christ. Be immovable in the victory that you've been given in Christ. And always be, don't stop. Don't don't get sidetracked in this, this season it is a season of, of unique rest in certain ways, but even in our rest, don't let that rest just be sucked away into the vacuum of Netflix. And in these moments, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Lean in to Him during this season as, as the un, undisciplined, if I could say, of our hearts kind of comes to the surface during a time where our routines are all jacked up. Right, okay, let's bring those, that, that lack of discipline to him, saying, all right, Lord, tend to my heart where you're exposing weaknesses. Show me, direct me, uh, send me. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And here's the rationale, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's one thing you can do during this time that's not ultimately wasteful. And that is to press into knowing the Lord and laboring on his behalf, because it's that labor that will actually make a difference in eternity. Be steadfast, Christian. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. On a Resurrection Sunday, we give you praise and honor because you are the one who has stepped into our pains and into our brokenness by your son to do what we can never do for ourselves. And that is to satisfy the debt of our sin upon that cross and to overcome the problem of death on our behalf. We praise you and we thank you. You have been a good God to us. You have not left us in our sin. You have not left us to suffer the judgment that we are deserving of, but Jesus, you took that place, and now, Jesus, you are our victory. (laughs) Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you stand enthroned over all, over sin, over death, on our behalf to be our victory. Thank you, God, that you are lavish and loving. For even the heart that right now would say, Oh God, I need you. Save my soul. That you would be so good and so faithful to step in and to show your own presence and to and to give lavishly the victory that we could never attain in ourselves. Oh Jesus, be the victory for those who are seeking you even right now. Spirit of God, I just pray a blessing upon those that you are of wooing to yourself even right now. Their thoughts are kind of racing. Their hearts are full in these moments. Oh, would you bring about the work of regeneration, bring life to their souls. And Jesus, for those of us who, man, we're, we still feel the fearfulness. We feel the uncertainty of the moment. God, we say, let our eyes be set on you. Let our hands and feet still move at the impulse of your love. Let it be that we would would remain immovable, steadfast in the victory that Christ has won for us, knowing that our labor, our activity, even right now, may it not be in vain as we live, as we work unto you. God, be glorified in our hearts and lives. We love you. We thank you. We celebrate you